Morning. It is so great to see all of you. I want to issue an extra special welcome to those of you uh, visiting to, to see family baptized today. Got to see some faces hadn't seen in a while. Uh, just uh, thrilled that you're here. Thrilled that we came together for a testimony like this. It's just exciting. Uh, and Easter next week. Boy, hope you can join us then. Uh, hoping the weather works out. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Steve Robertson. I'm a member of the elder team here at Hollis Center Church and a member of the preaching team, and I get the delight to cover an extra special pas passage with you guys today in Exodus. And that's the book that we're studying. Last week, if you recall, my sermon title was Good God Almighty, and I hope you got to go home and listen to the song. If you didn't, you have another chance. It didn't go anywhere. But we saw that God's amazing goodness leads us to faith, worship, and teamwork. And if you recall, Moses' father-in-law showed up and Moses' father-in-law was convinced by what Moses, by Moses' testimony that God was the God of all gods and he put his faith in him and they celebrated and then Jethro told Moses, man, you getting up every morning and judging all the people, that's kind of ridiculous. Let's set up something that makes a little more sense and put a team together to help him. And we saw that. And that leads us up to today's passage. We're going to be looking at Exodus 19, verse 1, through chapter 20, verse 21. And I've entitled uh, the sermon, Grace, Obedience, and Blessing. And you'll see why in a minute. I want to tell a quick story. Um, when I, I decided to go to college and I decided to uh, major in computer science, nerd, and um, in my very first computer science class, I was expecting to sit down and someone explain to me more about computers than I did at that time, which is kind of what you'd expect. And the very first thing that Art White did, Dr. White, as he said, okay, everybody, I want you to take out a piece of paper. This is a long time ago. Um, and he said, I want you to detail the steps for changing a tire. I'm like, what? <laughs> CS 101, computer science, here I am detailing the steps for changing a tire. I'm like, all right. My brother's John Robertson. I don't know how to change a tire. This is going to be easy. And to a person, everyone got it wrong. What's the first step? Jack up the car. No! The first step when you change a tire is to loosen the lug nuts. If you jack up the tire, the car first, and you try to loosen the lug nuts, the tire will spin on you. Huh. It's like, oh, and so the professor's point was that the order matters. That the order is important. And if you think about it, well, and, and oh, by the way, that's a lesson I just keep learning. Like every time I go to change a tire, I jack the car up first, and then, oh, geez, lower it, okay? In the garage, that's pretty easy. On the highway with that little doinky thing that they give you with in the back that's buried, and yeah, different story. So what other things are there? I'm sure you can think of where the order is really important. Ladies, make sure 
you put your makeup on and then take a shower, right? No, right? But if you did that, everything would just be completely messed up. Do you shuck your corn before you boil it? Yeah, but you don't have to. This is the trick one. You can boil your corn with the husk on it, and it'll be easier to shuck later. Thank me this summer. Okay? Awesome. Well, one of the places where the order of things makes all the difference is in our relationship with God. And so today we're going to see that with our relationship with God, indeed our covenant with God, and the covenant that God makes with the Israelites in this chapter, the order matters. And the order is grace, obedience, blessing. And the order makes all the difference. So we have a lot of ground to cover in a small amount of time, but this is what I need you to walk out of here with today. That if you mess this order up at all, the whole house comes crashing down. This is where we so often go wrong in our understanding of God, in our understanding of how he's operated in human history. Well, Exodus 19 and 20 are not going to allow us to switch these around. And you're going to see that, and we're going to walk right through it. And so we're going to look at in today's passage are the four following things. We're going to see grace, we're going to see covenant, we're going to see holiness, and we're going to see the gift of the law. And so as we dive into scripture, let's, um, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this just wonderful time we have together, a fellowship of celebration and of diving into your word and getting to know you just a little bit more. Help every one of us here to put ears on, to hear what you would have us hear. Help my words not be my words, but yours. And may your truth change us. In Jesus' name, amen. And so the first thing we're going to look at is grace. And so in the very first couple verses of chapter 19, God leads his people to Mount Sinai. And Israel's arrival at this mountain is one of the high points in Exodus. It's three months after they were rescued from Egypt. And it marks the achievement of God's plan to save his people for his glory. And it also marks the beginning of a new stage in his relationship with his people. And here's what God says to Moses when they arrive. Verse 3. The Lord called to him, Moses, out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. And so, hey, Moses, I need you to tell the people something important. Moses had a crazy important job as God's representative. And the words that follow are sometimes described as the heart of the Old Testament. The heart of the Old Testament. Verse 4. This is what God is telling Moses to tell the people. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. God's saying, you watched it. You saw the walls of the sea on either side of you as you passed through it. And you saw it crash down on those that were waiting to destroy you. And what I need to make sure nobody misses in here in verse 4 is God says, 
how I bore you on eagles' wings. God is careful to make sure that Moses communicates this in a way that the people understand they had nothing to do with their saving. Born on eagles' wings, God does the carrying. And what kind of grace is that? What redemption? What salvation? You, my people, God is saying, you've been redeemed and you didn't lift a finger. I saved you. And this is what verse 4 very clearly says. And note that this is the first thing that God says to his people at the mountain. He did not give the Ten Commandments and then say, you'll be saved if, I, if you follow them. He didn't say, if you do this, I'll save you and I'll bless you. It starts with God doing the saving. This is where it starts. And hopefully you can see this makes all the difference. God then goes on and he talks about the covenant that's based on that. Okay? So we're going to talk about the covenant just for a minute, and we're going to go through a couple of verses. In Hughes' commentary, this is what he says. He says, really, everything else in the Old Testament, indeed, everything else in human history, can be explained in terms of the covenant relationship described in these verses. So let's, let's take a look at them. Verse 5, God says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Okay, so we've seen grace. And here we see a call from God for obedience. He says, I've saved you, now obey me. Not obey me and I will save you. I've saved you, now obey me. And the result of obedience is blessing. Grace, obedience, blessing. Don't get the order wrong. This is what God is saying. I've saved you, I need you to obey and the result of obedience will be blessing. And oh, don't we like blessing? Blessing's great. Like new trucks and stuff. Yeah. No. When this passage speaks of blessing, it's not talking about stuff. And we need to be careful to not talk about stuff as blessing. Indeed, the Bible tells us that often stuff keeps us from God's blessing. And so what does God's blessing look like? And what is described is not exactly what we'd expect. Is when we think of being blessed, we think of my station or whatever I'm experiencing is better now. That's not what Scripture tells us. The verse continues... But the blessing is you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so I'm going to go through this. Three things that God says is the blessing you receive from obedience. Three things. Number one, a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests is number two, and a holy nation. These are all listed by God as the blessings you'll receive for obedience. First, a treasured possession. And, and really understand when, when God says that, it's really talking about a king's personal private treasure. In this day, a king pretty much owned everything, but the king had a personal private 
stuff that they kept in their bedroom on the wall was just treasured to them is what God is talking about. And even he says, for all the earth is mine, but you are my treasured possession. You have value over everything else I own. Wow. That is quite a statement for God to make. You have value over everything else I own, and I own everything. Second, God says you'll be a kingdom of priests, and priests are mediators. That's what they are. Priests bring people who are outside to have access to God inside. And if we are God's treasure and we are a holy nation separate, we will be a light that brings people in. And so God is saying, if you respond to your salvation with obedience, you'll be a light. You'll be a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of those who bring people in from outside. Wow. That's blessing number two. And third, a holy nation. A holy nation. Okay, what are we talking about? A different kind of human society. You're going to be different. Obedience will mean that you will be really different. And understand that when the gospel, when we understand how God has saved us, one of the things that, that, that understanding where we were and where God took us, it should help us with our ego. It should help us not be people that, that, that think we're all that when we realize how far we've come to be saved. And we'll talk about that just a little more in a minute. But when the gospel gets your ego sorted, you get demoted a little bit by acknowledging you're a sinner. And now you're the son or daughter of a king. You will be different. You will be different. And that's a blessing. C.S. Lewis says it's not, it's not that you don't think more of yourself. You don't think less of yourself. You just think of yourself less. Hmm. This creates a different community. Money, sex, and power operate differently in that type of a community. You want to see what a holy nation looks like. Sermon on the Mount is a great example if you want to read through that and understand how being set apart and different for God looks like. And so these are the blessings of obedience. A treasured possession of God, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. We have the privilege of being his treasured possession and his representatives in the world. And so I hope you're seeing the order. Grace, obedience, blessing. Grace, obedience, and blessing. Well, what do you think the people's response to this was? People who heard this are all about it. And this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, honestly, because I continue to go back to it. The sixth verse sets the stage kind of for the rest of the Old Testament, shows how hard obedience was for the Israelites. Okay, we're seeing this. We're seeing God come tell Moses, hey, listen, I've got a new covenant for you, and I just want to make sure you understand that if you obey, you're going to be my treasured possession. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to be a holy nation. And Moses goes and delivers that. Verse 8. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Are you kidding? Why wouldn't we do that? 
Why wouldn't we want to be God's treasured possession? Why wouldn't we want to be a kingdom of priests and a holy separate nation? Wow, yes! And I need you to understand from this point forward, all you see the Israelites do, and Mike Rosenbauer will hate it, is cartwheel down the runway. They're on a roller coaster of, yeah, I think we're all, nope, this whole thing. And so this verse right here, all that the Lord has spoken we will do is just an exuberance that has no place in reality. They can't do it. They can't do it. And yet God is faithful through the Old Testament. And if we were going to read the rest of the Old Testament, you'd see all this. And so their reply to Moses is, are you kidding? This sounds great. And so Moses goes back to God and says, they're in. They're in. And so I love the fact, and we're going to go to the next verse in just a minute. I love the fact in the very next verse, God says, okay, I'm, I'm going to come close then. I'm going to come near. Okay, and so we're kind of like, okay, let's get this party started then. Let's, this covenant, you, you're down, let's do it. And God says, I'm going to show you just a bit of who saved you, who you're obeying, and who you're going to represent. I'm going to show you my holiness. And so, because Packer defines words a billion times better than I ever could, Packer says that holiness, the word, signifies everything about God that sets him apart from us and makes him an object of awe, adoration, and dread to us. And so God tells Moses how things are going to go in verse 11. Verse 11, God's talking to Moses. He says, for on the third day... They've camped. God's shown up to Moses and said, I got a new covenant. It looks like this. I've saved you. Your obedience will result in blessing. And then God says, for on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And we need to understand as we read this that when God shows up, it's essentially dangerous for human life. God is very careful to make sure that Moses understands that as he comes near, people need to keep their distance. In verse 12, it says, and you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. And the whole time I'm preparing this sermon, I see Bob Foss putting up caution tape. That's just what I see. Sorry, I just over and over again. But that's the thing. God says, you need to tell the people and make sure you set limits for everybody that there's a limit of how far they can go because if they get too close to the mountain, they will die. My glory is in the mountain, God's saying, and you can't touch it. And so we see that God is terrifying, but he's also calling them. He's unapproachable, but he's also approaching. This is just a crazy, crazy time. And then... God's glory shows up. And you have to imagine that the entire nation of Israel, they're camped at the base of this mountain, and God said in the third day, I'm coming. And they're anticipating this. They're not sure what that's going to look like. They know it's going to be scary. And in the morning, verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Whoo! You imagine something like this? 
I don't have the slides for the next few verses, but I want you to, if you're not, if you're not going to follow along in your Bibles, I want you to close your eyes if you, and, and listen to the following verses. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Now verse 21, right here on the slide. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, (laughs) lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. This is God saying it again. Don't get too close. Oh, oh, and don't get too close. Did I mention don't get too close? And so I want us to just take a moment and realize what we're reading here, that God is not a warm and fuzzy. And in a a number of places in the Old Testament, he appears to Jacob as a wrestler. He appears to Job as a hurricane. He appeared to Moses as a consuming fire earlier in the book. Joshua, he shows up as a man of war, armed to the teeth. If you ever want to get your mind blown in the Old Testament, read Ezekiel and it looks like Ezekiel's having a seizure because he has no idea how to communicate the awe and amazement of what he's seeing. And later in this book, Moses tells God, show me your glory. And God says, I can't. It would kill you. And so why is it that the people are terrified? And why does God appear so terrifying? Why? Well, I mean, why not a lovely field with the grass just swaying and sun and birds chirping? And I'm just going to make a statement that as human beings... We are in great denial of our separation from God's holiness. We spend a lot of our lives even working at making sure that we're good enough so that when we compare me to other people, I actually look okay. And what we do in our lives is we compare ourselves to some standard that has to do with other people, and we don't compare ourselves to the holiness of God. I'm a good person. And I'm going to make this statement that if our minds actually grasped, fully grasped, I mean fully grasped our separation from God's holiness, we might not make it. Think about that. Noodle on it. But if we really understood how much our sin has separated us from a holy God, Tim Keller calls it a possible self-quake. And we've talked about it before, that the closer you get to God, the farther away you realize you are. The more and more you learn about God, the the more you realize, wow, i got a long way to go. When Isaiah gets near God, he says, I'm unclean. Peter gets a vision of Jesus, and his words were, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. This is Peter, the rock. And so what I want us to just Go ahead and hypothetical 
that someone decides to break away from the crowd, go rip Bob's caution tape apart, and and touch the mountain. What, What would happen? They would absolutely be destroyed because God's holiness and sin, there's just no way. There's just no way. But what I also want you to see, especially as we head into Easter week and Good Friday, is that when Jesus died on the cross, he experienced what anyone that would have touched the mountain experienced. He experienced destruction. He experienced the weight of sin and the judgment of sin on himself. The judgment of a perfect and holy God against sin, Jesus bore for us. Let's not forget this. So as we close today, I want to take a look at the gift of the law. A gift? What? Yes, God describes to the people what being a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation looks like. And again, as God delivers the Ten Commandments to Moses... I need you to understand that chapter 20, the first two verses, one and two, God again says it starts with my salvation. Verse one, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then he communicated the Ten Commandments. And these principles, the Ten Commandments, are the principles that the rest of the law would rest on, revolve on. And those Ten Commandments summed up, I'm not going to put them all on the screen because I'll give you the basics. Love God, love others. You're like, how can you make it that simple? Well, because Jesus did. That's how I can. And they're kind of almost divided in half of love God and love others. And loving God talks about God's exclusivity, no other gods before me. Talks about God's image. You can't make any idols. Talks about how his name is sacred. Also talks about how God's day is sacred. About how the Sabbath is sacred. And as the Bible tells us, if you want to really know what loving God looks like, loving God looks like loving others. And loving others, honoring your parents. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't take stuff that's not yours. Don't lie. Don't covet. Certainly spend some time on your own reading through chapter 20 of Exodus to see and see and and test me. Loving God and loving others is in there at every single turn, and it is. And Paul wraps this up for us in Romans 13, and I love so much about how there's New Testament passages that just say, all right, let me, let me sum this up for you. In Romans 13, 9, it says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment. This is Paul talking. He says, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Hear me. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Love 
is the fulfilling of the law. So when we see grace, obedience, blessing in that order, obedience is not, hey, let me put a list on my wall and check off when I do things and make sure I put little X's when I don't. Obedience is loving. Romans 13, love is the fulfilling of the law. If you're someone that struggles with this and that and the other, and you understand that you're not where you need to be with God, work on loving others. So often we try to take things out of our lives and they always come back because we don't replace them with something good. If you want to replace bad things in your life, replace them with love. In some way, there's a million ways to do it with those around you. Love is the fulfilling of the law. And so this is how we live as God's treasured possession, as a kingdom of priests, as a holy nation. We are blessed when we respond to God's salvation with love. And so please, I hope you leave today fully understanding grace, obedience, blessing. The order makes all the difference. It makes all the difference for you as an individual. You do not work hard to be made right with God. It's been done. The salvation has been bought. You do not work hard to do that. You work hard because you've been loved more than you could ever possibly fathom. And work that's a response to love is very different than work that is anticipating judgment. You understand me? Work that is a response to love is ominously the complete opposite of work that's awaiting judgment or in fear of judgment. We work because the work has been done for us. It also makes the difference for others. If you're pressing those around you to be obedient to the law without pressing them first with the message that grace has come, you're pushing a false narrative. And as representatives of the God who saves, we need to be careful we don't put ourselves as people's judge. When we put ourselves as people's judge, we're leading with obedience and not grace. When we push that others need to behave the same way we do, when we push, 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 morality, morality, that is not preceded by grace, we are pushing a false narrative and may none of us ever do that. And so, as we approach Easter, we're gonna, we're gonna celebrate together. Remember we talked about what if someone did touch the mountain and I wish that Exodus did have a story of a guy named Joe who decided to and we actually saw what happened, but we don't. But here's what's happened. Here's what we're going to celebrate at Easter is that when Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead, he gave us 
full access to the mountain. The caution tape is ripped apart and we have full access to the mountain and full access to God because Jesus took our judgment on him that we would expect if we were to approach God on our own. This is what we're going to celebrate at Easter. The price has been paid. The judgment has been made. And we now have full access, full access to God. And if you want to read more about that and have that completely laid out for you in the most beautiful way, check out the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. It is where that is just proclaimed and celebrated uh, in just an amazing, amazing way. Thank you so much for your time today, guys. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we confess that just like when a lot of times we'll pick a car up and jack it up first before loosening the lug nuts, that so often we are people that lead with obedience and don't lead with grace. Help us to make sure that we always remember, always remember that the order is important. The order matters. You've saved us. As a result of your great love, we obey. And as a result of our obedience, we're blessed. And how are we blessed? We're blessed to be able to be your representatives and your treasured possession here on earth. Wow. That's that's mind-blowing. We really don't even honestly... Uh, are unable to comprehend exactly what that means. But we love you for it. We love you for how you've saved us. We love you how you've given us access to the mountain where, where others couldn't. When you sent your son to die on our behalf. And as we approach this Easter week, may that just fill our hearts with joy, with celebration, and an understanding of the order, grace, obedience, and blessing. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.